0: okay let me pray and then i'll read father we pray now that by your spirit you will help us to mine the riches of your word which are more to be desired than gold even fine gold and for that to happen we pray that you help us to be willing to be humbled to be made small even cut to the heart so that we might enlarge our understanding of your goodness in Jesus and how we might respond to it. We pray in his name. Amen. 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 Acts chapter 1 verse 1. In No, Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language and they were amazed and astonished and said are not all these who are speaking Galileans How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia and various other places. In verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked, mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. or let your Holy ones see corruption you have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness with your presence brothers I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. (sighs) Okay, uh, we've got uh, a group for children, so uh, Natalie is going to gather them from the Four Corners. And uh, we'll pause while that happens and then carry on. Great, well if we've read, let me ask you a question. If after reading about all this unity and people coming together, here's the question for the evening. Why is the church so divided? Different denominations, different names. Why are there so many? And I would suggest actually that uh, this... Chapter Acts chapter 2 will give us a reason why actually those divisions that seem to be many really unite us when we think about what all those different denominations stand for. They normally describe some emphasis that one particular church holds on to as important, but when you look at that emphasis, you discover that actually what they hold is important is not only right but should be held on to by everybody so for example some people call themselves Baptists but when you look at Acts chapter 3 you see people baptizing and therefore this is obviously something that's going to be an important thing for all the Christian churches all of them baptize There'd just be a difference in what age people might like their children to be baptized but Apart from superficial differences like that, all are Baptists. In the same way, all are Methodists. Methodists were accused of being Methodists by their opponents because they methodically taught every member of their church to talk about Jesus. But in Acts chapter 2, you've got members, church members, talking about Jesus. It's an important emphasis for everybody. Even the old Church of England, where well, the Church of England is there to exist to take the Gospel to everybody in this country, including all the unbelievers in it. Well, every church should be existing to take the Gospel to outsiders. Another denomination called the brethren. Why? Because they believed in close family relationships within the church. Well, you look at verses 42 to 47 and you see There are very close relationships that should be what every church would aspire to. And in the same way you could say we are all Pentecostal except at this point you might get different people with different understandings of what it means to be a Pentecostal church. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and work out what is a Pentecostal church. And we're going to see that there are three things. I know there are many different hallmarks that people uh, point to. But I think Acts chapter 2 gives us three important ones. Let's look at them in turn. The first, if you're going to be a Pentecostal church, uh, and I should have put that slide on a long time ago. Let me make it smaller and start going through them. If you want to draw a little picture, you can try and draw that picture. And I'll try and draw other little things around it to help you Remember what we're talking about tonight. But the first thing about Pentecostal church is the importance of preaching. Now, Pentecost was one of the three great Jewish festivals. It came 50 days after their big, previous big festival of uh, the, the Day of Atonement and Passover. So 50 is the word for pente, so 50 days after that you have Pentecost and that time of Pentecost is when the Jewish uh, people remembered how God had given them the law on a high mountain called Sinai. And what you find in the day of Pentecost is you get the sound of wind and you get fire and both those things were features when the law was given on Mount Sinai. But the big thing about the Mount Sinai experience is that God gave them the Ten Commandments. In other words, he gave them his word. And when you look at the Feast of Pentecost and what was said, if you count up all the verses, the bulk of them, verses 14 to 36, are given to God's word as Peter explains it. So a Pentecostal church is not primarily known for its worship or its singing. As far as we know on the day of Pentecost there wasn't a song sung. It simply depends on whether someone explains the Bible or not. That's the the one essential. The rest is optional extra. And I think there are three features of good Bible teaching that you see in Peter's sermon. The first of which is that it simply explains what the Bible says. Okay? Peter starts off with people saying that these guys are drunk and what Peter comes out and he says, no, this is more Joel than juice. And so what you've got is Peter explaining what uh, Joel is teaching us and you get that as you go through and listen to what Peter says. And as you look at what Peter says uh, the thing that you then discover is that he bolts together Jesus and God. He will not talk about one without talking about the other. So, you look at verse 22 of chapter 2, and you see that uh, in your Bible uh, you will find that Jesus is attested by God with mighty words, God saying, I am an entirely witness person, I will do my miracles through him. He is attested by God. His death is purposed by God in verse 23 and his resurrection has been accomplished by God in verse 24. God raised him up and you won't talk about God without mentioning the name Jesus and that is something that we really need to understand if you hear people talking about God but not mentioning Jesus they are not talking about the God of the Bible and when you boat together God and Jesus then what you are doing is boating together God and Jesus not just in the New Testament if they are boated together they are always boated together and have been boated together in the Old Testament so therefore to talk about the o- God of the Old Testament without talking about Jesus in the Old Testament You've got the Bible wrong. Good preaching will always hold God and Jesus closely together as one. Second thing about good teaching, it will humble people, it will bring you down to size, it will make you small. That happens doesn't it in uh, Acts chapter 2. Look here are people who if you look at verse 5 at the top of page 910 are devout men Okay, for crying out loud they are here for a religious feast you can't do all the right things more than they are doing and yet Peter tells them in verse 36 let all the house of Israel know you crucified Jesus and it's fascinating that he should say that because it wasn't them who physically, directly heard him and put him on the cross. But they were part of a group of people who, at that time, did not recognize Jesus for God, for who he is. They did not treat him in that way. And therefore, by dismissing him as important, they are in the same boat as the people who were directly responsible for his death. And so, uh, Peter says, you are involved in that. And only good preaching from the Bible will have that effect on you and on me. Most people, when they stand up and talk, will want to flatter those who are listening to them. The Bible, if it's heard properly, will bring you down to size. will cut you to the heart. will if you like, put nails in the coffin of your niceness. And it will reveal our hearts for what they really are, which is rebellious against the purposes of God. That's what we're really like. And the Bible will take the cover off and show us. It will bring us down to size. But he does that because of the third reason. It is because God is full of grace. Look, given that you know the audience in verse 36 has been involved in the death of Jesus, if God is going to pour down anything on this group, what do you think God should pour down on them? Nothing but his judgment, right? But what he does is generously pour out his Holy Spirit. Pentecost is saturated with God's grace. Look, let me ask you a question. Try and fill in this sentence, okay? You end it. The biggest thing God could give me at this moment in time is dot dot dot. You fill in the gap. Okay? The biggest thing God can give to me at this moment in time is got there well helpful to have full tab, the different uh, answers you have but actually yes that but more than that pentecost tells us the biggest thing that god can give and does give is actually himself mm-hmm. he gives himself he gives his holy spirit that's the deep measure of God's love, that He will give any undeserving person wine, even those who would murder His Son. He would give them Himself in full to help them to know how much He loves them. People ask that they can a murderer be forgiven? Where what Pentecost tells us in verse 36 is that even the murderers of God can be forgiven. That is astonishing grace, isn't it? And that's why Pentecost preaching, Bible preaching, will fill your hearts with a love for God. Why? Because when you realise you are that forgiven, you will find yourself in love with the God who forgives you. Whoever loves much, whoever is forgiven much, loves much. It's preaching that will bring us to love and worship Jesus. Not music, unless the music of course tells us this kind of truth. And so it's no surprise to see them in verse 42 wanting to continue to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? because their teaching is just such, about such an amazing, gracious God. And so, good Bible teaching will cut a start to size, but boy, will it you blow your mind with the goodness of God towards you, once you realise how small you are. And let me emphasise from what Peter talks about uh, David and, and the tomb and the fact that David is dead and he's in the tomb and everybody's dead and they're in the tomb and even the teachers of all the world religions are dead and they're in their tombs but if you are someone who is a follower of Jesus you will never have a tomb you will have a home That's what Jesus promised I go to prepare a place for you and then I will come back he did that on the cross then I will come back and where I am you will be also no more to just a home with Him. One of the amazing uh, unknown uh, ministries of the Holy Spirit, people talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in lots of different ways. One of the unknown uh, ministries, you want to make a note of it in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you resurrection. If the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So Pentecostal preaching will be primarily preaching that points to the future, this new life that will not end. There will be applications for the present, but it will open up a whole new horizon as you face this kind of future. Pentecostal preaching is full of grace, but the second mark of Pentecostal church—not just Peter standing up, but the people around him as well. Uh, there are Pentecostal church is primarily going to be or is also going to be rather a church about evangelism. The Feast of Pentecost was a gathering of first fruits, in other words, anticipating the harvest. Well, no longer was it going to be a harvest of corn that they're anticipating on this day. They're looking at a whole new crop of new believers being gathered into God's kingdom. And An unmistakable mark of Pentecost is that there is a Spirit-filled love for those who are outside the church. That's why you get all these different languages. In verse 4, they speak with other tongues, the languages of the world of their day, from all those different countries. And so that in verse 11, they all hear the mighty deeds of God in their own language. In verse 6 and in verse 8, actually in their own dialect. It's a bit like someone from Kenya, from Nairobi, going over to Russia, and they see a... A Russian standing up, and they expect the person to sound Russian. And yet when they open up their mouth and they speak, they're not speaking Swahili, which all Kenyans understand, but actually they hear this person speaking in Kikuyu, in other words, their own particular dialect. And they hear the great word of God spoken in their own home tongue. It's lovely, isn't it, when you go to a foreign place and you suddenly hear someone speaking in your own home tongue and you say, actually, uh, this word is for me, I can understand it. Well, that's what it was like on the day of Pentecost as well. Now, you compare that with Islam, where you've got to really properly understand Arabic to be able to get to grips with that. Or Judaism, where you need to understand Hebrew to really uh, go deeply into that, or uh, Hinduism, where some purists say you've got to understand and learn Sanskrit to be properly uh, getting uh, uh, out of a uh, uh, meaning out of that. And then you get into the world of Pentecost. And God makes himself understood, not by you having to learn anything, but by God speaking to you in your own dialect. And so therefore you can uh, hear me stand up and speak in perfect cockney. And um, I'll try not to stop uh, so that you stay in tune. And so it's a wonderful thing, is it, that... uh, uh, all these different believers are brought to speak in all these different languages so that they can be understood by the whole world. And Peter says this is exactly what Joel predicted in verse 17 that your sons and your daughters will prophesy. In other words, it's not going to be the preserve of one speaker like Peter. Why everyone will be taking the word out to everybody else? And that's what ordinary believers will be doing from now on. And you see it actually working in practice if you just flick on, keep a finger in Acts chapter 2, but flick on to Acts chapter 8. Remember in Acts chapter 1 they were told that they had to leave Jerusalem and Judea and go to Samaria. But let me tell you it takes 8 chapters before they go. But what makes them go in chapter 8 is that the heat is so hot that there's a day of great persecution in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 and so therefore they were scattered they had to leave wasn't safe to stay and what did they do in verse 4 those who were scattered went about preaching the word now you don't have the apostles standing on their hind legs talking now you have ordinary people going out (laughs) and explaining great works of God the way they did on the day of Pentecost. So you might say, well, if the early church was rather wilting at the thought of being told to leave Jerusalem and Judea and go to Samaria and go to the ends of the earth, how on earth were they going to do that? Pentecost is the answer. God raised up an army of people who can go out and communicate to everyone everywhere. And every time you see ordinary Christians doing this, as you saw on the streets of Dagnum in Darcy Gardens this afternoon, as this church went out and started meeting people in their homes, what you were looking at was God keeping his promise. He said this would happen, that the ordinary folk would be going out and speaking out Jesus in that way. And therefore I think it is actually important for us to go away from this little phrase that you sometimes hear in churches about every member ministry. The difficulty with that is that it can lead us to think that we've got to somehow find a different job in the church for different people to do. So every member has a part to play in the organisation. But no, that's actually not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches every member evangelism. That's what it means to be a prophet, not a person who serves the tea and the coffee and the putting out of chairs and things like that. Every member, evangelism is to go out. And every spirit filled believer has a love for those who are not Christians in order to bring them in. It's interesting, we've got Sarah here. Now, Sarah, I think, uh, went into uh, church for the first time because just an ordinary. A um, uh, believer called uh came to her and became her friend and said, Look, you ought to think about this. It's just how ordinary, that's how the gospel works, isn't it? I mean, if we're looking at Dagnum, how do we win Dagnum? Do you expect one or two professional clergy like me to do it? How's it going to happen? <coughs> I don't know the people who are living in your house with you, you do. And if you're a Christian, well, the Spirit tells you that's your work. And God gives you the gift to do it. So, uh, Pentecostal Church, big on teaching, preaching, big on evangelism. And lastly, big on love. I suppose you could say, actually, that the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost brings Love, love, love. Love for God through the Apostles' teaching. Love for outsiders through a desire to reach them. And a love for people who are within your Christian family. In a wonderful, miraculous way that this amazing, close congregational life follows in verses 42 to 47. I want to say that this relationship, this depth of relationship, is nothing short of miraculous. Because if you look in verse 43, there is a tangible sense of God being around. And awe came upon every soul at the miracles that God was doing. Now, when it comes to the actual miracles of healing and so on, it is important to see what verse 43 tells us, that it is done through the apostles. Okay? Not everybody is going around doing the healing and the miracles but the miracle that you see in the ordinary church and the experience of ordinary people is the miracle of people people deeply caring for each other and you know something unique is taking place when anyone puts a person another person in front of their possessions in uh, chapter 1 we saw how uh, the person who betrayed Jesus Judas bought a field but here you see they are selling their fields and it is a wonderful reversal of the divisions that you get in the world So that you remember at one point in the Old Testament, there was a massive uh, division that went on after they tried to build the Tower of Babel. They were trying to build a tower that reached up to God and God stopped them building the tower and divided them. He did that for their own protection. It was a great kindness of God to stop them being proud and to think that they could get to him through their own effort. And what he did was he scattered them. And so therefore you have a number of divisions in the human family now. But on the day of Pentecost you get finally a new society. Babel is reversed. There are now people speaking the same language and coming together in wonderful new love and unity that they never had since the day of Babel itself. And so what is supernatural about Pentecostal Church is not the presence of miracles. As you read on through Acts, you see that actually most of the miracles are not even done by the Apostles. They're mainly done by Peter and by Paul. Those are the only two Apostles to get a mention with the miracles in Acts, for the most part. But what we are seeing is that the miracles we look at today, the miracles that turned heads in that day and got all people holding them in awe Uh, having favour with all people is the new life that they enjoyed with each other that was so miraculous, the rest of society longed for it and then flocked to it at the end of verse 47 the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved it's amazing closeness and the love the Christians have for each other, if it Is expressed in these terms will be a miracle that the watching world has never seen. Well what does that say to us today if we are going to take things home from this passage? Again I normally speak to three different groups of people and maybe that you're not a Christian yet, you're thinking it through, maybe all this is new and you're trying to work out what might you go home thinking after tonight? And I want to suggest that if you are a new uh, Christian then, and you want, if, you're, if you're not yet a Christian you're wondering what God might say to you right at this moment in time then let me tell you that it will be what God has spoken through the Bible. There won't be any special hotline from heaven. And what Peter tells the crowd is what Joel said and what Joel promised that since we are all offside with God and deserve him to pour out his judgment on us so we'll know that that is true if we take an honest rain check on how we have lived yet the promise is there in verse 21 it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved And when Peter says in verse 39, this promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, he hasn't forgotten Joel. This promise is for you. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Seriously. Forget the person next to you. This promise is for you. And because God is so gracious, and He has taught you that from the Bible, it is important, isn't it, to call on Him. Can you see how gracious God has been to you? The Lord Jesus has come down for you, the Holy Spirit has come down for you. When will your call go up to him? Today would be a great day. Say so if you aren't Christian call on the lord to save you please tonight what happens if you've been to church a few times i want to suggest that actually it might be important for us to think carefully about what we call a pentecostal church there are many out there calling that calling says by that name but let me see from acts chapter 2 that the true Pentecostal church is one that very clearly explains what is written in the Bible, a church that is very clearly as a body given to evangelism and a church that in its heart of hearts is able to love people deeply, more than they love themselves. And I think that's important for us to see because I think a lot of what is now marked up as a Pentecostal church is really characterised by things that go on on Sundays in a church service. So, Pentecostal church, for example, is seen to be where a place where there is a high emphasis on worship, particularly maybe on singing, where there might be a slot in it for people to speak in tongues. But I want to suggest to you that if you read your Bible and you know it well, a lot of those churches really are not Pentecostal churches, they are Corinthian churches. Because in Corinth you get people speaking in tongues, but no one understands a word of what they're saying. In Pentecost, when people speak in tongues, everybody understands. In Corinth, you need people to come along and be interpreters. And therefore, Paul says, to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2 for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God for no one can understand him but he utters mystery in the spirit no wonder Paul uh, wished that the Corinthians would speak in languages that other people would understand like they did at Pentecost in order to build up the church and therefore Paul says when I'm with Christians I'd much rather speak five words in a known language than 10,000 words in a tongue so when you look to a church where there are people speaking in tongues but no one understands a word of what they're saying you're in Corinth you're not in Pentecost Pentecostal churches are actually Corinthian churches if that's an emphasis now, tongues of Peter were understood, and it was a wonderful expression, actually a unique expression of a day out in heaven. Because largely in our churches today, we don't speak in foreign languages that other people can understand. I can only manage English. But wonderfully, on uh, the day of Pentecost, you had a little preview of heaven where. The Bible tells us there will be a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Well, that was a day on earth when people did that. And that's what Pentecost uh, helps us to anticipate. And therefore it's good for us to pray that every Pentecostal church that has that name will preach evangelise and love, the way this Pentecostal church did. And if you are a real believer, well, I want to suggest it's helpful for us to pray that God will grow those three loves in us. That God will grow uh, greater love for himself, through the teaching of Scripture. God will grow a wider love for outsiders in our hearts through our work at evangelism. And God will grow a deeper love for each other in our hospitality and in our giving. I once suggested we ought to make this our prayer for Becultry Church. So that in the goodness of God, he can keep doing what he did at the end of that chapter, which is to keep adding to their number day by day, those who are being saved. It's a wonderful thing, if God would do that work in our little church. And we pray that he will. Let's have a moment where we uh, pray together, perhaps personally, quietly, silently, give you one minute for that, after that I'll round up our prayers and then hand over to questions or comments that you might like to make. Let's have a moment of quiet as we pray. Well, our minute's gone, let me pray as we finish and over to you after that. Father, a minute isn't really long enough for us to talk to you about what we've learned. So please keep us praying so that by your Spirit we will live out a new love of heaven in our lives that our heavenly love might grow with an understanding of you because of the Bible that our heavenly love for outsiders will widen because you give us opportunities to talk about the great things you have done and that uh, a heavenly love will be found deep in our church as we serve each other and put others first. And we pray that you will help us to grow that love by giving us your spirit, by making us a Pentecostal church. For the glory of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.